Welcome to the I blah blah blah. Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I got flubbed up because we'll get to it later on in the show. Uh, <laughs> let me start over. Welcome to the Everyone's a Movie Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. Fuck you, Kevin Smith. <laughs> I mean, it's only been what a decade. It's fine. I know. Well, we, we had a different name within that decade. True, true, true. However, it's been several years. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but I've never heard it in a movie before. Uh, yeah. Anyway, welcome to the show. Visit us at uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is Critics Pod. Uh, visit us at IHateCritics.net. Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Listen to us on YouTube. We're also go. We're also live generally Monday evenings between six and nine Central Time depending on our schedules, but we do post that on our social media. Uh, you could also click on the bell somewhere on this video uh, to get notifications. Subscribe to the show here as well, uh, and you'll get notifications of when we go live. Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is the best way to help support the podcast, and then our Public link, if you head over to IHateCritics.net, click on the upper right-hand corner of the Public link, and if you go back to Apple Podcasts, if you leave a five-star review and a rating, we'll read the review on the air. you got to let us know you sent it, though, because we don't see all of them, especially internationally. And we will also send you a, a Blu-ray given to Sean by some of, our, some of the distributors of the films that are out there right now. But before we get going, you had some fun Twitter interactions this week. Yeah, yeah, and, and nothing. I'm not even being like sarcastic about that. Like it was just really awesome. So I, I uh, had a chance to review a uh, a movie that was direct, co-directed by Sean Baker, the director of the Florida Project that he did back in 2004 called Takeout, and uh, I posted that uh, on social media and on Twitter, and uh, Sean Baker retweeted it and and quoted it and. <laughs> It was really awesome, and it got a, got a huge amount of hits for something that I thought was going to get zero hits. So uh, it's really that was really very cool. Uh, it was very awesome. I mean, he did it twice. Uh, the two times that I tweeted it, he's he's put it out there, which is awesome. I uh, couldn't I couldn't be couldn't be a cooler guy. Um, and then uh, another one, the the Film Foundation, which I was just talking about last week, uh, they uh, quoted my review of Samba Zanga that I posted this week and put that out as a, as a tweet. And that was again, just another great uh, interaction uh, again for another review that I really thought would get no traction whatsoever. Who's going to read, um, you know, a 1972 movie from Africa review. Uh, you know, those just tend to, I'm not, not knocking it. I just, it tends not to do very well, even if I love, enjoy writing about it. Uh, and, uh, then this week, uh, yeah, I wrote about Moon Age Daydream and interviewed the director, Brett Morgan. You can find that interview on our Facebook page right now. And uh, yeah, he, he retweeted that for me. And uh, yeah, that was really awesome. I've had a good week of interactions with people on YouTube or Twitter for some reason. It is funny the way you word it, too, is that, you know, movies that don't necessarily get a lot of clicks uh, when you do a review on them. Uh, my wife and I were having an interaction this week and... Uh, we're trying to debate whether she wanted to see Pearl with me or not. And she was like, your show doesn't even know shit about Hocus Pocus. So why would I want to go see, uh, I mean, what kind of audience do you have? I'm like the audience that doesn't care about Hocus Pocus. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, 
Uh, we definitely have our own little niche, but it is cool when someone with a bigger pull, you know, shares stuff and allows mm-hmm. certain things to get a little more traction. That's awesome. Is Hocus Pocus out? I didn't even. I think the second one's coming out or something like that. You know what's coming know. out? I didn't know if it was out or not. Hey, we'll never know. <laughs> Our audience. Well, your your wife doesn't want to come on the show and 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 talk talk about it. I mean, I, it's a cult classic. People love that movie for is it a cult whatever classic? goddamn reason. Or it's too big to be a cult classic. I mean, I mean, I, it's not a legitimate classic. <laughs> No, no, no. no. So. It, it's just like a. I don't know. I was about to say a MILF classic. That's not what I meant. Uh, it's just kind of a middle aged. I don't even know what it is. It's just. It's, it's too big to be a cult classic. It's just not good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't. I've never seen it. I don't know. Maybe it's great. <laughs> I'll never see it. It doesn't matter. But. Anyway, I found it to be wildly me- mediocre, but that's just me. I'm sure that's a lot of our audience, too. <laughs> All right, let's get to our show. I haven't opened up my pictures yet. Okay, let's share my screen. And we will start with the Woman King. I am absolutely fascinated to see how good or bad this movie is. This is this is weirdly fascinating. There, there was a weird sort of backlash on this movie, and um, I guess because the, the apparently the screenwriters may or may not have taken some liberties with the story, uh, hiding the fact that uh, the the characters in the Woman King, who are the essentially the good characters, were also in the slave trade. Even though that is technically a plot point in this movie, they do use that. But uh, this was also a, a woman uh, a movie about black characters african specifically african characters who that was uh, written by a white woman and the story was by a white woman and so people were kind of bothered by that which i understand uh that said putting that aside and just investing in viola davis uh this movie's pretty awesome um viola davis is the the title character the eventual woman king she's going to ascend to being what they call the woman king which is the not the not the wife of the king, but uh, sort of a, a co-king, if you will, somebody who sits by the side of the king, but is 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 uh, not his wife. Essentially, uh, she is the leader of this group of warriors who are all female, uh, and they you know they're they're the defenders of this particular kingdom, um, and the action scenes are spectacular. Like the, just right off the bat, one of the first thing you see is just this massive bloody battle that is just awesome. And Viola Davis is absolutely killing it. And every one of her warriors is just a a total badass. And you really just get dragged right into the story. And then, uh, you know, there's a really typical idea of here bringing in a sort of a point of view character who is this character who's brought in as a slave and is uh, given the option to either, you can either die alone or you can be trying to train to become a warrior. Those are your options. Like they'll just put you out and you can just go die or you can try to be a warrior. So she, uh, she takes the warrior option and uh, she's uh, she becomes a, turns out to be a very good warrior. And uh, her journey is of course the journey that we're following because that's the, you know, the, the point of view character. And it's a very good point of view character. This young actress is really amazing. And she has a lot of surprises in store and uh, she, she, 
starts off very willful and remains very willful throughout, uh, defiant even, willing to try and make changes to what uh, Viola Davis's character is leading, which gives her a challenge that's that's very interesting. There's also a, a unique sort of connection between the two of them that the movie really layers in well, that it, in a bad movie might stand out a lot, but uh, in a good movie, uh, it it works because they've they found a way to make it work. Uh, other movies might consider it too much of a coincidence. I, I just really thought it was clever. Uh, because Viola Davis sells every aspect of this, she's just one of the best actors working. Uh, she gets uh, a several monologues in this movie, one of which is just her readying her warriors to go into battle. And I just wanted to crawl through the screen and just go right into war with her. Like it was, it was she's just that much of a of a leader and like just that much, just that compelling. Like you just want to follow her anywhere. Uh, she's just wildly charismatic and, and hardcore. And, you know, she just doesn't waste any time. There's no, there's no wasted motion at the same time. It doesn't, uh, you know, take away from the building of these characters. They give them enough, each of them, the main ones, enough development for you to invest in them. Uh, like I said, there are some predictable elements. Like there's one character, like you can just look at them in the way that they're built. Like that character is going to die. That character is built to be the one that dies. That is very dramatic, but I cared. I cared when she died. So <laughs> like it, it worked. Uh, yeah. I like this movie. I think it's a very good movie. Yeah. I get <clears throat> from the trailer. I haven't seen it, uh, but from the trailer, my thought was, is this too bad? I mean, it's Viola Davis, so I automatically got a, a fantastic actress. It's a true story, so being an over-the-top action movie, the way it appears, you know, almost Marvel-esque, you know, big, is that the right way to make this movie, or do you go for more of a dramatic, uh, you know, period piece that's more taking itself seriously? Now, obviously... And you can do that with an action movie, too. I'm not trying to take anything away. I haven't seen the movie. That's just based on the trailer, which is why I was wondering if it's any good or not. It is more action movie, though, than it is anything else, correct? Yeah, I would say so. I would say, I mean, the their ele- most of it is based, like it says, based on true events. Um, the idea here is that they're, they're a small kingdom. They're going up against this much larger kingdom that has gotten large by selling the people that they conquer into slavery. Uh, which the kingdom run by John Boyega, who's you know the king and uh, to the warrior played by Viola Davis. He also is in the slave trade, but she's encouraging him to get out of it uh, and to stop selling their people to advance you know their their stature. And uh, so that is a that's a plot point that's going on through here. Even though a lot of people were saying like you know you're denying this uh, that they were involved in the, in the slave trade and these were not as much as this you know warrior tribe is interesting. They were, you know, they were slavers as much as anybody else. Uh, I don't know the truth. I can't say, I, I I can't say what was true and what wasn't about that other than they do acknowledge that Um, whether they ever did get out of the slave trade. I don't know. Maybe they didn't. Um, That could certainly taint aspects of this movie, but purely based on Viola Davis's performance and the performance of the young girl who plays the, the point of view character, uh, and just the action in general is just so good that I, I can't deny just how much of a good time I had watching this movie. It was really entertaining and exciting and violent and you know, watchable. Yeah, and I don't know how it did, but it is kind of cool. I feel like this year we're getting more original blockbusters versus, you know, I mean, we're getting the IP ones as well, but 
it does feel like we're getting different movies that are making an attempt at making money on their own versus coming from an existing property. Surprisingly enough, this was the number one movie at the box office. It took in uh, $19 million, which isn't necessarily blockbuster numbers, but uh, you know, 74, 75 million on the multiple would be pretty good for this. Maybe a hundred million worldwide. That's they're going to, you know, mix. They should make money off of this and, and be happy with the result. That's awesome. All right, let's move on to God's Country. God's Country stars uh, Tendiwe Newton as a college professor in Montana. Uh, she's uh, just moved there with her uh, mother, who's very ill, and uh, she doesn't get out much, but she has this piece of land that is hers. And one day she catches these two guys hunting on her land, and she politely asks them to not do that. Uh, which they reject. And this begins sort of a standoff. And what we come to find is that uh, there isn't much help for her here. Uh, Even as there is a not terrible member of law enforcement, he is the only member of law enforcement for about 450 miles. (laughs) He's a state trooper and his entire, like the entirety of Montana, because there's such a small population, that's his jurisdiction. His other cop that he had is, currently on suspension for doing something awful. Uh, so she's kind of caught in the middle of this whole si- awful situation. Um, she also stumbles on this thing at work where the guy who is the head of her department may or may not have uh, committed some, not a sexual assault, but a sexual harassment, I guess, against one of the students. So she's trying to deal with that. She's also trying to deal with a, a bit of racism on the staff amongst the racism that's going on at home. And this is actually kind of a, a Western in a way, the way it plays out like a modern day Western. And it's really exceptionally directed. The, directed. the director is Julian Higgins, and uh, he does an amazing job of building uh, layer upon layer upon layer of this story between this conflict between her and these two guys who are hunting on her land and begin to threaten her when she tries to stop them. Uh, and you know, she's perfectly justified in what she's doing at the same time. She's got no backup to protect her from what's what's coming uh she's also a former cop she was in new orleans during the time of katrina and she's got a lot of baggage from that uh she's uh like i said her mother is with her and her mother is very ill perhaps dying and that's weighing on her so there's a lot of things at play here and it's amazing how well tandue newton brings all of this together and the movie doesn't feel overburdened it doesn't feel overstuffed with all that stuff, even as there are, like I said, even allusions to Katrina and police violence. Um, it, it still feels it still feels like it's telling this story and staying focused on this story and what's happening with her and these two guys. And uh, the, the college story also plays into that. The police officer, the one police officer in town plays into that. She doesn't have a love interest, which I found interesting. She's basically entirely on her own on her own in this movie, which I uh, certainly stacks the odds in a very unique way. Uh, but the film is exceptionally directed. It's like I said, another one that's just incredibly watchable. It's got a lot of, it's got some good action to it. A lot of surprises. It's a really just a fantastic movie. And Tendaway Newton is just uh, so, so incredibly underrated. Yeah. I, I had seen the name of this movie, but I didn't know what it was until you started talking about it. Uh, I'm very excited to see this. This sounds very right up my alley. Well, I mean, Montana is just a fun place to 
I mean, you you go outside and, you, and with the shitty camera and you got an amazing shot, you know. <laughs> so you get some with some skills plus some actors and you're out in that environment. That just sounds awesome. Yeah, the the energy between between Ted Dewey Newton and these two guys who are hunting on her land. You know, one of them's kind of this conflicted, not a nice guy, but certainly like a guy who doesn't want to be a complete dick. And then this other guy that is just pure dick energy, just constantly like that constant like. That constant bubbling under rage that's just boiling to come out at any moment, just eager to come out like that, that energy and that her just not backing down like she's not going to be pushed over. She's not going to be she's not a bitch, but she's not good. You're not going to push her uh, and, and do, you know, make her do something she doesn't want. Uh, she she fights back. Uh, but not in like a badass way, like in the way like a person in her situation would. Yeah, she like tries to go to the cops. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very believable the way she approaches it until she has to go to another extreme. And then when that extreme arrives, whew, that's good stuff. It's good stuff. I am definitely circling this one. When does it? It's in theaters now, right? Yeah, it's in theaters now. All right. I can't wait till that's streaming. But I'm going to have to, unfortunately. Uh all right. Up next is Pearl. Pearl. Ah, uh, Pearl. <laughs> of course, this is the origin story from X, the prequel to X, which is already you know one of the best horror movies of the year. And now we've got a an even better horror movie from the same director in the same year, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Mia Goth is Pearl. She is uh, a young teenager who wants to be a movie star. She's in the nineteen twenties. 30s uh the the era where just movies are just coming to be uh and she wants to be a, a movie star she will do anything to to get what she wants meanwhile at home her mother is this very german very strict woman who feels like her daughter should suffer as much as she does because she has a roof over her head and uh her dad is paralyzed from the spanish flu so he can't move and i love the set piece early on that kind of demonstrates just how off Pearl is just kind of like just this little touch to give you kind of how Pearl is disturbed where she almost dumps her dad in the lake where a crocodile lives uh, just very close to doing it before mom stops it. And then you've got that just immediately after that, they go into a scene where she's giving dad a bath and then she's taking a bath in front of him. And it's just, it's very creepy. It's very creepy and very well played. And it's just sort of layering in what's supposed, what's, what's coming down the road in this movie, which is, uh, of course, her beginning to unravel in the movie, becoming uh, incredibly surprising and violent and scary and awesome. Um, but this movie, from the from moment one to moment last, uh, the the brilliant way that Ty West uses the old MGM musicals and the old MGM adventures and serials from the 30s and 40s is just it's just such a brilliant meta joke. I mean, it truly is just this wonderful joke that if you're aware of those movies, like even if you've just seen The Wizard of Oz, you're going to find that like the font that he uses in the in the, in the credits is, is like the perfect font from like 1930s MGM movies. And then the score sounds like it could have come from an MGM film in the thirties or the forties. Like it's just, the strings are just so beautiful and so perfect. And so against the story that's being told and the ironic distance between the music and the presentation is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, and then Mia Goth. I mean, in my review, I was, I was writing about her today, having both 
like the 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 sensitive beauty of of a like a um oh god what's her name now i forgot her name uh shelly duvall and like the ferocity of faye dunaway like in one package like that's that's such an amazing package she's got that in this movie uh because when she turns ferocious it is very much like wire hanger energy (laughs) like (laughs) and uh yeah, the, the just that sweetness in her eyes and the innocence, like she doesn't even really realize the the magnitude of the things that she wants to do. Uh, it's a fascinating performance, and there is a, I believe it's an eight to ten minute sequence of this movie that is just the camera looking up at Mia Goth as she's giving this monologue, and it is breathtaking. It is Academy Award level good. She's not going to get nominated because the because Hollywood is full of shit and doesn't award the best performance every year. But it is the best performance by an actor in a movie this year. Oh, <laughs> Bar none. Far and away. It blows everything out of the It's so amazing. Just that sequence alone. You can do that. And the Scarecrow sequence in this movie are just two of the best sequences in any movie this year. Uh, man, wow. Blows my mind. Blows my mind how amazing she is in that in that moment, and yeah, I, I adore this film. It the, just the fact that it exists is so weird. One, <laughs> I don't think you're going to see this unless you saw X. So already, right. you, not that you'd need to see X to see this movie. You don't. It does. No. It does make the two together really great. You link them together, but mm-hmm. yeah, so. You're only really going to grab from that audience. It wasn't a huge audience to begin with, but it still exists and it still came out in theaters, which I just think is awesome. I'm, you know, I'm glad they did that. Every everything you said is so pitch perfect, right on. I mean, it's basically like if The Wizard of Oz was a, if Dorothy was a serial killer, <laughs> uh, and it's it is just so good, so watchable, so just smart. I. I didn't realize how much I liked Ty West until this year. You know, I'd seen stuff and I liked him okay, but mm-hmm. these two movies are two of the best of the year. I was just some A24. I mean, this is going to be one of A24's best years of all time. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. They've got my favorite movie of all time and this one just this year alone. Like, that's crazy. And X on top of it. Like, that's amazing. What are you? That, that's bad. I mean, that's one of the best A24 years ever, and it's A24 we're talking about. Well, I mean, <laughs> at least three times they've had movies that we've put in our top five, you know, <laughs> of all time, top five, you yeah. know. <laughs> so it, it's, it is insane what they do, and just, I don't know. I, I can't say enough about Mia Goth. I, I don't even know what, I mean, like you said, the Scarecrow scene is just so... Mm good multiple scenes in the bathtub where she's just like touching her father and like a weird scene if he feels pain and just her curiosity mm-hmm. uh, and you mentioned something early on where she does take the bath in front of her father but it, it, it's not like a lesser whore director would just go for the creep factor and just you know lean into mm-hmm. it he's he's unra- like unraveling like you said her yeah. level of crazy and he does such a good job of taking his time with that. And there's no nudity. There's no, there's no nudity in this movie. I mean, it's, but there are two bath scenes, but there are no, there's no nudity no. in the film. 
Unlike uh, X, where everybody's naked. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I point that out only because, like it says, it, it adds something to to those bath scenes where it's just it's it's more transgressive because mm-hmm. it's not it's not intentionally like sexual on her part or she's not being sexualized and she's not sexualizing him. She's taunting him in a way, making him as uncomfortable as she can possibly make him without actually physically harming him. Uh, she's inflicting emotional damage, which just makes her that, that much scarier. Right. Uh, it's I, every person she interacts with watching them go, you know, go the gamut of emotions from, you know, pleasure being around her till ultimately when she kills them. Spoiler alert. She is a serial killer. Uh, that level of, I mean, you go there with the characters and like, <laughs> you, you don't know what to say. You just know you're scared of her. And mm-hmm. it is so just so good. That, that eight to 10 minutes scene, I kept, it wasn't until like six minutes and I'm like, holy, have they even cut? <laughs> you know? No. <laughs> and you, they just, they, movies just don't do this anymore. It, it doesn't get much better than that. It's mm-hmm. to the point where I don't even care what awards they do. But there's so many great movies this year mm-hmm. that we should just talk about all of them and how fantastic they are. But uh, I hope that I start seeing Mia Goth more. You know, yeah. kind of like the way when we saw that year, the year of Florence Pugh when she came out with that wrestling movie and then Midsummer and uh, the, was it Four Women or whatever it was? Mm, the Little Women, Little yeah. Women. Uh, that I mean, that was a fantastic year for anybody, but that was kind of her groundbreaking year. And then since then, she's this massive star. I would love to see that with Mia Goth because she, it does not get better than what she did. So I, I would love to it's see. It's so incredible. And you know what else is great is that Ty, is Ty West direction in that scene. First of all, choosing not to cut, but also the way he starts the scene with that lovely young woman just trying to be nice to this girl and just trying to you know draw her out and give her a moment to, to speak like she can sense there's something wrong. She has no idea what it is. And then the sinking dread of going from this woman was going to be able to walk away from this interaction seemingly and the sinking dread as she gets further and further into that maniac monologue and she's getting that she's not getting like st- super angry but you can sense like the 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 bile rising in her throat as she's talking and then that sinking dread they're like oh shit she there it's gone and she does it like there's a rise and fall multiple times where it's like she's gonna kill her she's gonna let her go she's gonna kill her she's gonna let her go it's so great and it's so suspenseful it's breathtaking which is fun shots uh mm. You know, oh, the, the credits. Grab. Oh, yeah, the, oh, the credits. I mean, just <laughs> my God. might as well have been what an a, eight minute monologue without words. <laughs> what a choice. I mean, my God. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I can't even like my we did go see it, my wife and I, and she had totally forgotten about X, which I'm like, how? She said, like, well, it wasn't memorable. I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> no. <laughs> and She'd like this better than X as well. I, to me, it's just like one movie as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't even want to compare the two. I, I think you're right. This is probably better. But as a package, I, I just it makes the ending even more fascinating because uh, or not even the ending, but just her scenario with her husband because of X, <laughs> you know, it's just like, how did you even get there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
which now I just want to see the next 70 years of their lives. <laughs> I, I would watch. <laughs> I believe he's making one that's set in the 90s now with taking the Mia Goth character from X and moving that into the 90s. I am on board. I don't whatever he wants to do with this world. I will follow him the entire way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah, it's it's Ari Aster levels of good at this point. Yeah, which is we mentioned that, but didn't quite give him that credit after X. But now it's just like okay, yeah, you're you're that brilliant. I'll I'm, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you that. That one, you know, he made his Hereditary, and now he's made his Midsummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair in the same year, no less. I still prefer those two movies overall, but yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, but these are, I mean, they're just so original. Yeah. And just so smart and, and funny, like darkly, darkly funny. Uh, like just the, just the score alone, just the meta of the MGM musical and the, the nods to wizard of Oz. It just, the meta is just darkly hilarious. <laughs> And just how committed everybody in this yeah. movie is to that. Uh, so good. And some it's really awesome. It's such a great movie. And I, I just I wish more people had seen it. it. It didn't do great. It did about three million over the weekend. Which I would hope they would have known that going in. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you're you're grabbing it from that X audience, which wasn't a huge audience to begin with. Yeah. And you're probably only gonna get a fraction of those people. So anyway. Uh, go see Pearl if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. See how they run. See how they run is a sort of a loose adaptation of a sort of Agatha Christie idea. Rather, I guess it's more of a like to to steal a phrase, a, a meta uh, take on an Agatha Christie uh, novel. So the idea here is that a play of a Agatha Christie play, uh, Three Blind Mice, is being uh, put on, and one of the people who was attending the hundredth performance of that play is murdered and let and his body is left on stage they call in sam rockwell and uh he's the detective uh saoirse ronan happens to be the first cop on the scene and she ends up getting assigned to be his partner and they investigate uh the murder and there are numerous suspects so adrian brody is the murder is the murder subject he was killed and they're working backwards from his body to try and figure out which of the people either a cast member or somebody behind the scenes who may have murdered him. And it's a, it's a murder mystery comedy and it is a rather brilliant uh, murder mystery comedy. The, the absolute, uh, the, the ways in which that Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan have just completely different energy is it's not antagonistic. It's just sort of like, he's very sleepy and, and bored and she's very, she's very happy to be there and excited and taking notes on everything that may not even take to need take notes on. And she's accusing everybody of murder while he's kind of pulling her back going, it's not, not everybody's guilty of this. Like it's a great place, place into this sort of running gag uh, throughout. But the, the whole thing is based off of the idea of one of those classic drawing room mysteries where you've got, uh, you know, you're in the you're in that ancient English drawing room where there's all the suspects and the detective, and he's going to lay out the case and you know, tell you which one of these people is the murderer. And meanwhile, behind the scenes, uh, Adrian Brody is this a uh, Bulgarian American director who wants to make a uh, 
a movie of the play, but he wants to do it his way with the big shootouts and chase scenes. And David Oyelowo is the screenwriter who is being forced to work with this guy who thinks he's an asshole because it's fucking Agatha Christie. Like, why would we need to add a shootout and a chase and an explosion to this? Like, it's Agatha Christie asshole and so they battle back and forth in, in a very funny way in some of the flashback scenes that we see um one of the characters uh reese shearsmith who i believe is from uh, uh the recent uh, kingsman movie uh he plays actually he plays uh uh sir richard attenborough <laughs> who actually did play the actual character on the west end in london and that's this it's not based on a true story but he actually did play that character on the west end in london so again the meta is very heavy here uh, there's so many great performances in this. Uh, just everybody is just having such a fantastic time uh, in this movie, and I, I had a great time with this movie. It's it's a lot of fun. Wow, you haven't you haven't disliked anything this week. That's awesome. <laughs> there's one coming. Don't worry. <laughs> <clears throat> I hope it's not this one. Clerks three. It's definitely not this one. Uh, Clerks 3, of course, uh, the continuation of Kevin Smith's uh, Clerks universe, uh, picks up with uh, Randall and Dante having now uh, bought and running the stores. Uh, they've got uh, Jay and Silent Bob as their partners uh, who work next door but still sell weed illegally <laughs> up front because <laughs> it's Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, and, and yeah, the, so the, the, the story goes here that... Uh, Randall has a, a massive heart attack, not unlike uh, Kevin Smith had a, a, what do they call the Widowmaker, which you tend not to survive. And he manages to survive it. And that sets him on a path to want to make a movie. And he decides he's going to make clerks. <laughs> and uh, he and Dante are going to clash because he's treating this like it's actually his story, even though most of the story is Dante's story. Uh, just a wonderfully, wonderful callbacks throughout to you know bad bad customers and of course uh, the, ret- the return of old characters from clerks that are just fantastic and uh veronica coming back was just one of the one of my favorite moments ever uh <laughs> this movie is just absolutely wonderful but on top of just being typically funny in the way that kevin smith is funny he's also having a very mature conversation about male friendship and about love and about uh, death uh, and it, it it does get a little heavy at a particular point that uh, kind of does take your take you back a bit um I'm my sister who's also a huge Kevin Smith fan has watched all these movies with me when she saw it she was she was like I, I'm not sure I like it really <laughs> I'm not sure. yeah she because she didn't she didn't like the way it ended she didn't like the ending um and I I thought it was bold I thought it was surprising exciting and uh, very funny and and i thought the, it was very mature but uh, mature in the way that kevin smith is mature where he's still kevin smith but he's a more thoughtful kevin smith he's got a lot on his mind now and uh you know he can still make jokes but he can also say you know there's there's some seriousness to life that sometimes gets in the way of the jokes yeah for me it was you know i <clears throat> it was very started to be typical kevin smith lately you know and I, which i love because i'm a fan but i definitely know he's only playing to like you and me and a few other people yeah uh th- there's a whole you know montage of you know them casting for the movie where he's just like look at who my friends are 
<laughs> he does. He's been doing a lot of movies lately, and mm-hmm. he really since Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, and uh, which again I like it because I'm a fan of all that, but I know it's not. It's just very much a uniquely Kevin Smith thing. Uh, but similar to Clerks 2, you know, you get to that 60% of the way through, 70% of the way through, and all of a sudden it's just like it starts to get heavy. Uh, and they go off to the friendship thing. Only, you know, it starts out when they're in their 20s and then they go to the 30s. Now they're skipping to almost their 50s. Uh, and that heaviness he does so well. Like, it just brought me back to reality. Like, okay, this is a real movie. This isn't just. Jalen Silent Bob reboot, which was a movie of nothing but all that, which was fun and fine. Mm-hmm. But this got really, uh, really deep and good. And I, I was, I was just floored. I, I loved where it went, and I was just like, "This is really, really good." I can't. I didn't see it coming. Uh, I probably should have saw it coming. I, but I was so caught up in it, I was just like, I, I really enjoyed where they went with this, and. Uh, and then, you know, listening to his podcast and, you know, because he's a very, he does a million interviews. You can, he does all these stand up shows. It's hard to not really know Kevin Smith in some ways. I mean, he <laughs> never stops telling you about himself. Mm-hmm. It makes you start to wonder where, where that part came from. Who was he thinking about? You know, which part was him? Which part was somebody else? Who was it? Somebody else. Uh, and that made it for another fascinating, uh, a fascinating thing and then even elias i was worried he wasn't going to be as funny as he was in clerks too mm-hmm. uh but they definitely use him well and they bring on his daughter's real life fiance or whatever to play is his little silent bob which i thought was pretty <laughs> cute and uh basically if you've seen clerks too you know elias is a, a super christian and here he prays <laughs> for randall to have a heart att- or something to happen to randall and randall has a heart attack so then he he turns his back on God and goes full-blown Satan worshiper, which, uh, I mean, even going into the RST video and <laughs> having the videos on the shelves, them not knowing it was the video store, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it, such great, great gags. Just so funny. But what I almost love the most is just the fact that they were in the convenience store the whole time again, and you mm-hmm. got to, you got to really see it and feel it again. It was... It just felt like home in a way watching the movie. It was just very comfortable uh, until he made it uncomfortable, which I just thought was really quite brilliant, which he doesn't have to be anymore. He has his audience. He can do what he can keep doing the reboot thing, you know, and making that movie all day long if he wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could serve up greatest hits all day and we'd be, we'd be very happy, but he's, you know, he challenged himself here and went to a place that I'm sure, people probably didn't expect. And like my sister, you know, <laughs> the rea- her reaction was very visceral. Uh, she's just not even sure where to the point where she's not sure where she stands in the movie. Yeah. Um, and that it's that level of, of bold and, and heavy and, you know, but also, also still very, very funny, <laughs> like still right. very, very funny and moving and romantic even with uh, Rosario Dawson and the way he uses her throughout. Oh, yeah. She's so good. She's just, she's just, gets the Kevin Smith vibe. She just rolls right into it and is just just lights out from minute one. She's just awesome. Absolutely. I really early on finding out, you know, about her character, I I was really I was kind of taken aback. Like that actually got me a little bit like, what? 
Yeah. And then, then, uh, and then that the way they weaved her back in there was so great. It was just so smart. My initial uh, thought was, oh, she wasn't available for the movie, so we had to do this with her. (laughs) And but but no, they he had had a plan for it, and I Mm -hmm. just really, really well done. And I I think you're right, though, when uh, Veronica comes comes back, uh, (laughs) the whole. She's in it the perfect amount, and it's great. I, everything they do with her is great. I don't think we've really seen her in a Kevin Smith movie since. No, I don't think Clerks. so. Uh, and she was one of the best parts about Clerks. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it was really cool to see her back, and what they do with her is fantastic. And uh, I did wor- I did want to know what happened to Caitlin Bree, but you know that's fine. Well, <laughs> you can't you can't answer everything well i mean the actress passed away so. oh god i didn't oh my god i had no idea oh you didn't know that no i didn't know that oh man at the end of the trick credits at the very end oh god the yeah very end it says you know it says for her i don't remember what her, the actress's name was and then uh we miss you or whatever so that i mean that was really that I might stay for the whole credits just to see if they were going to do anything for her, and they did. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah I had no, I had no idea. Yeah, she had some weird uh, illness, so she couldn't come back. But yeah, I, I, I'm sure if she was alive, they would have done something with her. Uh, but it, yeah, I, I think for a while she was married to Jeff Anderson, who played Randall in real life. Uh, mm. But anyway, it was. I don't know it. I, it's again it's service it, it's fan service more or less it's similar to pearl he's he's only going for the select audience he's not bringing in people who are curious mm-hmm. uh, and that then he knows that and that's fine and I, I can't wait to go see it again in november when we if you're still available for that oh yeah definitely 5th, uh, that should be a time i've already fight. i may have already seen it three times but i mean i'm ready to see it again oh, I, <laughs> I, I, there's not a Kevin Smith movie I haven't seen multiple times. I mean, I've yeah. seen Yoga Hoses probably as many times as I've seen Mallrats, <laughs> maybe even more. But I also I like, Mallrats I like is the one I've seen the least. Really? So, I like. I just watched Mallrats the other day. <laughs> I it was my brother's movie. I was already kind of. I didn't know. I don't know. I, I was almost straight to Chasing Amy, then backwards to Clerks. Mm. Uh. I'm pissed we, that Harvey Weinstein has dogma, so uh, we can never see it again. Ugh, that's garbage. Yeah. Uh, we got a shout-out in this movie. Yes. <laughs> Jeff Anderson that's, names our podcast in the movie. <laughs> <clears throat> Woke me right up. and I'll, if, Oh, so cool. And I, I saw this before you, and I was just so excited to see you to find out when you heard it. Yeah, he just goes. Everyone's a critic. <laughs> that was, Kevin Smith hates critics. It's like he's already watched her. He's like he's been a listener forever. Right. Well, the, I remember when we saw Yoga Hosers, Ralph Garman's character, the bad guy at the end. He flirts around. And I think we were I hate critics at the time. He flirts mm. around with. He's about to say I hate critics, and he never said it. Uh, and then to have him actually have Jeff Anderson actually say it in this Randall, uh, it was pretty, it definitely woke. I mean, I, I was, wasn't sleeping, but I definitely popped up in my chair and I was like, Hey, <laughs> and then I worried like, is that all Sean thought was waiting for me to hear? Does this fall apart? <laughs> and, and then it went to the other direction. I'm like, and it, it just kind of, that thought left my head and I just got caught up in where Kevin Smith, the st- what he wanted to say with it. And I was just mm-hmm. blown away and absolutely loved where they went. And uh, I'm so glad he made this movie. 
Yeah, and and the uh, the 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 natural qualities of of uh, Jeff Anderson and uh, Brian O'Halloran. They're just they're they're not actors. You know, they don't do a lot of acting. Halloran does a lot more than than obviously Jeff does, but they have a natural quality and their chemistry is just amazing together. Like they just have a, this perfect friendly chemistry to where they, they, they just fall right back into their rhythm so beautifully. And you know, they don't, you don't need to be actors when you have that natural, you know, that realistic chemistry that they have. And, uh, but you know, the, that's, that's some amazing acting from uh, Jeff Anderson late in the movie. Like I was, I was genuinely like moved. Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> But he does in Clerks 2, too. I mean, it, yeah. it's it's very similar arc, uh, I, mean, I guess. Uh, it does go different places, but I, I it was just... And this movie, like, breaks the fourth wall. I mean, they, they clearly just throw scenes in there that don't add to the story, but you just go, oh, that's funny. Like, when they're reenacting some of the clerk scenes, and <laughs> the one where Jeff Anderson had the raccoon eyes... <laughs> <laughs> they just did it and it doesn't add anything to the movie but it's just everybody who's a fan of Clark is going to see that and laugh because not only do we remember the movie we know all the stories we've seen the commentaries a million times mm-hmm. we, everybody knows everything about these movies that is going to see this movie yeah. and Kevin Smith knows that and he throws us these little bones and easter eggs that would stall most movies but because he knows the movie he, the universe he's in it works and it you know, I, I can't tell my friends who aren't Kevin Smith movies, Kevin Smith fans to go watch this movie and be like, you're going to love it because they're probably not because they're going to miss a lot. But it, it is for the audience that he was going for. He knocks it out of the park and uh, and he tried. It wasn't just a money grab at all. So I can't say this. I showed this to to a uh, to a Gen Zer, uh all three movies. I showed her this one. And clerks and clerks two and the original in order, uh, we you know and and they were the if you watch them all, you do come away at the end going wow yeah I love this I agree and, I can see that and they loved it they loved it so I could definitely see you doing that, uh, uh, but that's awesome I I do think you can still become a Kevin Smith fan because movies are kind of timeless in a lot of ways. Uh, those are some jokes don't land as as well anymore, but still, it's the characters being immature and from the nineties. It's more so than the jokes themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Well, that's the thing that that's the line that Kevin Smith has always been right on, and and you know, like the like the whole uh, chase a gamey conversation about whether or not it was homophobic, and the characters had a lot of growing up to do. They were young characters who were very, you know, misinformed and. Uh, part of their journey is learning to be less, you know, be more open and less that way and to grow up. They were, they weren't grown up. So that was the whole point of it. Uh, you know, they weren't fu- fully formed human beings. People were not fair to that movie by calling that movie homophobic uh, because it's about people learning like I did, because like, I, I'm very sure there's a child of the eighties and early nineties. I was probably, you know, would be considered today homophobic. I was probably, oh, I think sure. I was pretty mean, to this uh, gay kid that I went to school with when I was like 12 or 13 and 14. And he was like a year behind me in school. And it was you know very common to be cruel to people like that at that time. And I don't know if I was necessarily cruel. I wasn't a, a typical bully, I, but I certainly followed the crowd and didn't do anything to stop it. Uh, but I learned over time and I got older and more mature came to realize that's the role. That's the wrong way to be. And I've, 
you know, learned empathy and I learned to be a better person. And that came about, you know, in my early 20s into my 30s, that it was a full thing now to the point where I would consider myself a very strong ally of right. the LGBTQ community. And uh, it's something you have to give characters the room to to be bad people who grow into better people. And that was the whole thing with Chasing Amy was Kevin was Kevin was telling a story about a group of very stunted individuals who were becoming slightly less stunted by the end, including including the supposed lesbian character, who, again, is another person. People say, well, he can, you know, she's not uh, she's a terrible representation because she's a lesbian who sleeps with a man. She didn't know who she was. She and every every gay person will tell you about the time in their life when they didn't know really who they were yet and learned who they were through, you know, various different experiences. Well, hell, a lot of and, straight people, you talk about the college experience where they yeah. don't know who they are and they're trying to figure it out. It's all about, and that's really, that's the that's been the journey of Clerks in so many ways is these characters growing up and Randall going very slowly <laughs> towards, towards growing up, but actually having sometimes the more mature per- perspective of being the guy who is so comfortable being a friend to another person. Uh, that's what Randall is so amazing to me is that he is so comfortable being a friend to Dante as, as antagonistic as he can be as much of a dick as he can be. He is Dante's friend first and foremost from the moment in clerks when he tells Caitlin, you, you heard him this time. I'll kill you to, to clerks too, where he's trying to get through to Dante, how much he cares about him and how much their friendship means to him to this movie where all of that builds to what happens in this movie to make it so incredibly emotional and 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 spectacular and yeah the whole the whole of clerks and the whole of kevin smith's work is about people who are stunted learning to become better slowly and you've got to be open to the idea that life teaches you things and uh, this reductive idea of, well, all characters must be good all the time. That's not an arc. That's not a dramatic arc. You can't start good and end good. Well, so, <laughs> many movies, so many movies fail to accomplish that. You know, that's yeah. the other thing is if Chasing Amy wasn't as good as it was, uh, it, it doesn't get it earned the ability to allow the characters to grow. And, mm-hmm. you know, you could argue all day long that Kevin James or Adam Sandler or whoever these other guys who mo- try to possibly do that or not, their movies suck so bad that whether there's growth or not, you don't, you haven't earned it. So you don't get to claim that in your offensive, mm-hmm. in your offensive movies, yeah. you know? So, uh, but that's what makes one of the many things that make Kevin Smith so amazing, uh, as a filmmaker. And I, uh, I don't know. Have you ever seen him live? Before. No, never. Uh, never. I think he's doing a Q and A when we go, so it should be good. Should be a good time. <laughs> That's very exciting. Yeah, I've never seen. I've only seen uh, the recordings of him doing live stuff. So, when I was writing about it, the, when I wrote about this movie, I was talking about how I can't be objective about Kevin Smith, and I really can't. I'm going to like what he does because I, you know, like you said, from the podcast to the TV shows to the commentary tracks, and then the movies themselves, like. Kevin Smith, uh, it's a parasocial relationship, but he's like, <laughs> he's like, a, he's like my friend. I feel like I know Kevin Smith. I feel like he is a friend that I've known my entire life for, you know, the past, you know, 25, 30 years almost. And uh, I can't be objective. I can, I can rib him maybe, you know, like red state. Yeah. <laughs> but like, what was that about? But I can't, I can't, I, mean, I still like red state. Right. <laughs> I still like the ideas of red state. I still want to have the red state conversation. Uh, like I, I, 
I can't be objective because I like him so much. I'm going to try to like whatever he does. And so I put that out there. Like, this is not an objective review. I love this movie because I love Kevin Smith. He's like, uh, he's like a friend to me, Uh, whether, you know, he obviously doesn't know that, but I don't care. (laughs) But he makes himself appear attainable from having the message boards back in the day. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of his friends are friends today because of, they were just fans to begin with, you know, Mm. the impractical jokers are in this movie and yeah the part of where they even got their start is by through the kevin smith message boards brian (laughs) quinn uh ended up working for kevin smith he's in dogma he's in the background at certain things and uh became started working for view askew you know got his feet wet started to get connections went and became a firefighter then came back and they all ended up being almost probably more famous than kevin smith now uh, or at least in the ballpark. Uh, but it's all of his, you know, he just, even his friends from high school are in this movie. They were in Clerks. They have their own podcast, which I actually prefer to all Kevin Smith's podcasts, but they're all <laughs> in this giant world. Uh, I mean, probably my favorite thing in the whole world is the podcast, Tell Him Steve Dave. If I was anything I was ever going to collect or be a completist on, it's that more than anything yeah. else. And <laughs> all because they're Kevin Smith's friends. <laughs> So he he makes it seem attainable, uh, which, you know, it's like, and part of me is like, what do we wear to the show? Do I wear the Batman versus Jesus shirt? And hopefully he sees it or my wife hasn't taken him to the Goodwill yet. So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I, I, I could talk about we've done the Kevin Smith episode a couple different times. Whenever we get a chance, we try to do it. Uh, it, It's he's one of my favorite, but he's also you almost got to take him out of the discussion and put him off to the side because he's just his own thing. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. I can't be objective either. I like certain things better than others, but I just think there's, he knows, he knows what he's doing and who he's doing it for all times. Mm -hmm. And that plays, you know, and he also knows the money he has, even the red state conversation, the movie he wrote and the movie he made are two different movies due to budgetary cuts. Uh, and we know that because of the podcast and therefore it's just like, Oh, okay. And then he sits there and he dissects the movie with you. And you, so, you know, you know, his motivations, you know, everything about him, which then allows you to just enjoy it and not, it, it, he does a good job of taking your critical eye away and making you just be a fan. And uh, at the same time, that pisses a lot of people off. <laughs> and they just hate yeah. him. Uh, but, yeah. but to everybody else, it, it works. And I just, I, I adore everything he does. It's also great to see Jason Mew sober with new teeth. Yeah. You know, ever since his meth teeth from like Zach and Mary, uh, it always mm-hmm. was hard for me to watch. And I always felt bad for him. But mm-hmm. and now he's got his teeth all fixed up. He, he's fun in this. He's clearly having a good time. Uh, he's not owning the movies like he used to back in the. Right. But he's just such enough. great guy. He's like, hey, he's going to do the dance and he makes everybody leave. <laughs> <laughs> just like they did in the original. <laughs> such a great bit. Such a great bit. Well, and they're all Uh-oh. in their 50s doing these roles, except for I think Muse is in his 40s still. But it just, uh, uh, even every, I, I feel like just about every character from Clerks that's alive comes back and does their part again. Even the little kid who smoked came back as an adult and redid that scene. And it was just, it was fun. I, mm-hmm. It was just fun. And uh, I, I can't wait to see it again. <laughs> he's comfort food, man. 
I don't yeah. know what to say. Oh, they even bring the docking show back, sort of. Anyway. <laughs> oh, but it, they make it poignant. They Isn't make the donkey insane? show fucking poignant. <laughs> God damn it. Nobody can do that. <laughs> you know, we're praising Ari Aster and Ty West and all that. Really. They can't do that. <laughs> I yeah. mean, even his like subtle digs at Martin Scorsese in the movie. It, and it's all in good fun, but it, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. It is. I love it. I love it. All right. Do we end it here? <laughs> I mean, it'd probably be a much happier show, I guess. I mean, I think Cameron Coke can come around in the end, but uh, John Hamm made a Fletch movie. Yeah, and he shouldn't have. Uh, John Hamm stars as Fletch and confess Fletch, and this is a, you know it's a Fletch mystery. He's a not a reporter anymore in this version. He's just a guy. I guess he's an investigator on behalf of his Italian rich girlfriend he's going to boston to search for some missing paintings he ends up in a arriving and finding a a woman who was murdered uh, and he just could not care less he's accused of the murder that's the title confess flinch and a couple of cops want him to just simply confess they say he did it he didn't do it obviously but he's being framed for it so they can cover up something else the thing about this movie and the thing why this doesn't work is and uh, is that John Hamm, for as funny as he is, can be, he's funny when directed. Like when you watch him on 30 Rock, he's very funny at 30 Rock because he's being directed by Tina Fey and that crew uh, giving him funny jokes to do. Uh, the same goes for Bridesmaids. He's funny in Bridesmaids because <laughs> because Kristen Wiig and the director are like, John, do this and you know be funny. When Greg Matola is basically telling John Hamm to try and find the joke the way flat, the, the way... Chevy Chase finds the joke in Fletch. He's just kind of feeling around in the dark. He doesn't have the instinct to know where to enter a joke. Uh, like one of the things he does is that he, I guess he thinks is funny is take off his shoes in inappropriate places. Um, it's not, it's not particularly funny. Um, it, he, he just doesn't have that ability. And so much of the movie is just sort of a flat line throughout where just like, it's kind of, vaguely amusing but nothing is very funny uh he's also they also don't make it so that anybody else is funny because i guess they they don't want to point out just how not funny he is and so uh you do get a character played by annie mumolo who's just constantly doing bit after bit after bit that isn't funny but it's also exposing how unfunny the rest of the movie is um Kyle MacLachlan, weirdly enough, is very funny <laughs> because for some reason, I don't know, he decided or they decided that his character, uh, who is essentially ostensibly the villain of the movie, loves EDM music. <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle MacLachlan dancing to EDM music is legit funny. It's just a funny idea. Like, that's the one funny idea in the entire movie. Um the, to 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 magnify how unfunny and poorly planned this movie is, they hired comedian Eugene Merman uh, for a character in this movie. He plays a security guard, and they never have him interact with Fletch, not one time. And they also never have him say anything funny or do anything funny. <laughs> so I don't know why you hired one of the funniest human beings on the planet to not do anything. <laughs> 
I imagine they probably had scenes between him and John Hamm, and it was just Eugene being very funny and pointing out how John Hamm's not funny, and they had to cut him because it was just magnifying further how unfunny John Hamm is. Yeah, I I didn't watch it. Uh, you know, back to Kevin Smith, he was going to make a Fletch movie once with Jason Lee, and uh, I imagine that could work. Jason Lee's a guy who can find a joke. Well, and it's. And with Kevin Smith directing him, you know, mm-hmm. I think he was going to have Chevy Chase in it as well, but he had that interaction. And I was like, oh, mm. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> One of my heroes is an asshole. <laughs> uh, but this movie has been passed around for decades or maybe yeah. this, some version of a new Fletch, you know, Ryan Reynolds. They wanted him to do it once. And he was like, I did Van Wilder. I don't need to do Fletch. <laughs> uh, I just I don't. I don't get why this was needed just in no. general. I mean, we can talk I, about Fletch too if you're ready. That is our classic, but I, and I don't know why Greg Matola directed it. He's a, he's not a bad no. director. Greg Matola directed some pretty some terrific movies, but he's time. not a guy. He's not a guy who goes for like big broad gags, which uh, a lot of what, which again is now what the Fletch books are. I understand. I don't know much about the Fletch books. So apparently, they're they're not what Chevy Chase made them out to be, which is like him doing a series of bits. Um, but the, yeah, the original Fletch uh, is Chevy Chase, who plays a reporter who's investigating the drug trade and also uh, finds himself in this weird plot where Tim Matheson hires him, uh, thinking he's a drug addict uh, on the beach, to uh, he hires him to kill him. He wants Tim Matheson wants Chevy Chase to kill him. Uh, and this piques Fletch's uh, interest. So he wants to know why, you know, what, what's up with this guy who wants me to kill him. That's kind of odd. So he begins to investigate that and those two cases uh, and eventually dovetail together. But much of the movie is all about him just coming up with these various different identities to play. And they basically just set up a series of scenarios for Chevy to just sort of enter into and then find the joke. Like he just reaches around and he'll just find something funny to say. And because he is a naturally funny guy, he manages to get a few of those. Like he does find several very good jokes that are just undeniably funny because he's a funny guy. I don't like Fletch. I don't like Chevy Chase as a person. I think that really affects my watching this movie because <laughs> I mean the, all the terrible interactions that he's had with people I like uh, over the years. It just it's just not good. So I, I find it hard to like him in any way, and so that does t- taint this. But he does find like he's if you're going to do a movie, and, and again I think Confess Fletch is the same kind of movie. They set up a lot of scenarios for Fletch to then go search for something funny to do in them. John Hamm doesn't have those kind of instincts. Chevy Chase does. Chevy Chase can find the joke. And I think he does uh, enough to, you know, that this isn't a miserable movie to watch, but I don't like it. Yeah, it, it was just so much of what ruins this movie for me is just the kind of comedy that's come after it that he probably inspired in some ways. Uh, but I mean, I mean, Ryan Reynolds is a perfect example. Ryan Reynolds does this better than Chevy Chase does. That said, there are times when I'm just sick of Ryan Reynolds doing it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I've been saying that a little bit lately. <laughs> so it's I it, it's hard to go back and give this a credit it probably deserves because uh, it did come before Ryan Reynolds came. Uh, but I also, you know, I'd rather watch Airplane and Hot Shots. You know, where it goes full-blown parody versus this kind of middle with what Fletch is doing, trying to be in a, you know, just a real comedy with 
these bits versus a parody movie going full on, you know, parody. Uh, I don't know. I, I it's it's hard for me to similar to what we said about Kevin Smith. Hard for me to watch this, you know, with constructively, just because of everything that I've been exposed to. You know, my opinion of Chevy Chase based on what other celebrities I like have said. Yeah, uh, and stuff. What's what's come after it? Uh, it's not good enough, and especially you know the vacation movies don't live up like I remember them too. I know they you you not. hate them even more than most do. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Much like much like your reaction to Star Wars, I yeah. it's probably the people who like those movies in the way they like them that I don't like as much as I don't like the movie. I don't like the movies, but the people who talk about them and those people who, who like gleefully say shitters full to me, like, like I'm going to laugh at that. I don't find that funny. I, that's not funny to me. I don't know why you find that funny. And having to go into a Walgreens or whatever every year on Christmas and <sighs> see the memorabilia, the stupid moose mug or whatever that was. Oh God. Yeah. It's I I totally get it. It's insufferable. It. It's insufferable. It is. I mean, I I'm not. It's not a movie I need to watch every Christmas. If it's on, mm-hmm. I might. I I kind of get bored by it. Some of the jokes mm-hmm. are lame. I I I'll take Scrooge every year for the rest of my Absolutely. life. Absolutely. I'm prepping see. a big. I'm prepping a big piece on Scrooge about how much I love Scrooge, and that'll be out in November in time to, for the holidays. Because yeah, I've been. I've been rethinking that movie and thinking of it perhaps as other than Lost in Translation, my favorite Bill Murray movie. Which <laughs> I see all the flaws in it, I, like, mm-hmm. but he's so fun that I just... He's so good. Oh. It's probably the most watchable thing he's ever done. And everybody would disagree and say Ghostbusters, but I don't <laughs> give a fuck. I'm, I'm with you 100%. Uh, yeah, I mean, I that and I probably need to start doing what your cousin Jeff does and maybe bring black christmas or something like that a reason to watch something else besides mm-hmm. scrooge because i'm not i don't dislike christmas vacation like you do but i definitely don't love it like everybody else does i i loathe it i loathe it but i don't blame you at all i loathe wally world i loathe, it's the only movie i've ever hated john candy uh, <laughs> uh the big movie in 1992 was, I'm sorry, uh, not Captain Ron. <laughs> that was my, my Chevy Chase joke. More, more like my John Hamm joke uh, that only the YouTube people saw. Uh, hmm. But Cameron Crowe's Singles. Singles is uh, just an absolutely uh, wonderful film, uh, a romantic movie. One of the first movies I watched where I finally kind of got romance like it made sense to me for the first time like because i'd seen all those old movies with you know the older romantic movies that my mom loved and i could appreciate them kind of but i was bored by them this one spoke to me because you know these are these are my people and my generation and my music uh and grunge was my thing and uh it, it just it just spoke to me and that line in the movie, like, I was nowhere near your neighborhood, like I, that clicked with me so hard and just how how clever and romantic that line is. Just it's stuck with me now for you know 30 years, just how much I adore that. Uh, and it's just such a classically Cameron Crowe thing to say um, that really, you know, as much as I love like uh, Kira Sedgwick and Campbell Scott out front, 
I think the real, like the through line, the romance that's really burgeoning throughout and the one that's really teaching you something is Bridget Fonda and Matt Dillon that's growing in the background of this, of this movie behind uh, Kira Sedgwick and Campbell Scott. It's so brilliant. Just the little tiny touches and her becoming a fully fledged person and standing up for herself and uh, you know, giving up on him and him realizing that he's, she's given up on him and coming back around and then sharing a moment in the elevator at the end with this just little piece of growth of him. That's just lovely. I, it's so clever and so well put together and everything just has something to tell you. It has a little something funny or observant or romantic to tell you on top of it. Just the soundtrack is just unbelievably great. So, I mean, this, those Paul Westerberg songs have stuck with me for 30 years. And then of course, all the grunge stuff that, that I still love today. I mean, I, I adore this film. I did, in my review, and I know a lot of people get very uncomfortable about this, I said that I don't find this movie to be one I could consider iconic because I feel like it is movie so white. Like, this is an incredibly white movie. No, that's not Cameron Crowe's intention or his fault. He's not a racist. The grunge scene itself was an incredibly white scene. He's reflecting what was in front of him. That's really what it is. It wasn't about excluding anybody intentionally. Uh, but it's an incredibly white movie. There's there's no doubting. There's no other way to put it. And I did mention that. And I know a lot of people were upset by that. And I don't care if you're triggered by that. It's true. Well, there's been a couple of times this year. I, I think when we saw Men, I kind of mentioned, you know, as great as a movie as it is, I I feel like it's a woman's story to tell. It would have been better if it was. And it, it doesn't make it not good. It's just there was another movie later on that I kind of the same. I didn't bring it up on the podcast, but. I, you're, I, it's just, I don't know. Maybe we see so many movies. We also see what's going on in our culture around us. It's hard not to notice things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I agree with you too. I am impressed though at the same time that Cameron Crowe could make this movie, you know, because he's more of a child of the seventies making a very nineties movie, Mm -hmm. uh, in the early nineties, no less. Uh, but he is from Seattle, and I, I, he was friends with these guys. Pearl Jam is in the movie. Allison Chains is in the movie. Uh, Kevin Dillon's older brother. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> call back to last episode. Uh, I, I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it's a great step for Cameron Crowe on his way to Almost Famous. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it, it really is quite good. Also, what came out uh, this this week uh, with husbands and wives, Peter's friends, Serafina, school ties, and South Central. It's very funny, you know, husbands and wives turning thirty this week, and Woody Allen announcing his retirement. Um, Woody Allen has said that he's retiring from movies, and it's <laughs> and so people on Twitter were were very very quick to point out you're not retiring, just nobody's going to give you money to make movies anymore. <laughs> Right. Like, you know, the reason for retiring is, well, the movies come out, they're in the Cineplex for two weeks, and they go to streaming. That's why I'm yeah. done. Yeah, that's, that's why. <laughs> right. That's why. It's not that you can't raise any money anymore. Right. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, next week, I won't be here because I'm going to see Alice in Chains <laughs> and nice. Nine Inch Nails. And uh, it'll be a fun weekend of bands I haven't seen before. Uh, but we have Don't Worry Darling, Moon Age Daydream, and Avatar is coming back. Is that going to be your classic next week? 
we'll see. I mean, I've got to recruit uh, maybe Amy and Jeff and see or Zach and see if they're, they're what they're up to and they want to jump in on on that or the man who fell to earth. All right. I've uh, seen Moon Age Daydream and oh my god. That's awesome. Uh ninety two, Last of the Mohicans, Mr. Saturday Night, and Innocent Blood. Uh Blonde also is coming out on Netflix. Sean's already seen it. We might save that for another week just to see how I feel about it. Uh but yeah, and I, I, I'm definitely curious about Don't Worry Darling. Uh it looks so good. They've spent so much money on marketing. Mm-hmm. But everything around it is just so like who would have thought Shia LaBeouf would have been like the good guy and Olivia <laughs> Wilde would be the bad guy, especially after what Jason Sudeikis did earlier in this year. I mean, this whole thing is so fascinating. And yeah, all I care weird. about is Florence Pugh, though. So mm-hmm. that's she's the reason I want to see this movie. She's she looks fantastic in it. The reviews I've read has been nothing but kind to her. Uh, I think she's amazing. And uh, I hope it gives her i hope it does her justice all right anything else before flick chart nothing really i'm gonna have to keep flick chart a little short because uh it's oh, yeah. very very hot in my office okay, mine too uh polar express die hard too uh shit i fuck they both suck die hard too no, did I like Polar Express? I can't remember if I like Polar Express or not. No, I don't like it. Josh used to shit all over it, and we just kind of <laughs> always went with him. I don't really have an opinion. Yeah, I don't really remember now. I think I've said it, be- I said it before, and I was very vociferous about it. Now I don't even remember what I said. I I used to hate Die Hard, too, when we watched it again. I think we, like, swapped. <laughs> you were like, Die Hard is great. And then you're like, this sucks. Yeah. And I was like, this oh, isn't as bad man. as I remembered. When it, when it turned 30, yeah, I watched it. It was like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Yeah, we why, is, totally... why is William Sadler naked now? What the fuck? I'm all about that. Star Trek V, <laughs> Adventures of Robin Hood, 1934. <laughs> Adventures of Robin Hood. Yeah. Hook, Heaven's Heart. What? What is Heaven's Heart? I have no idea. Oh. I can't see your screen, so I oh, don't know what you're looking sorry. at. Sorry. Oh, my, oh, I didn't share it. It doesn't matter. We'll just end this quickly. Yeah. Hook, Bowfinger. Bowfinger. Coco, Orange County. I have a real soft spot for Orange County. I really do. I know. Um, St. Tenacious D, they're going to be at the festival, too. Nice. I think I would probably watch Orange County again. Not that I don't appreciate Coco, but it's not a movie I'm going to ever watch again. I'm with you at the same time. I Just the fact that it's a very white movie, <laughs> I'm going to feel bad about it. <laughs> <sighs> I'm not even trying to be funny, but that's true. Uh, Dude, where's my car? The Rookie. Which rook? Which the rookie? Two thousand two. Looks like the baseball one. The baseball one. Yeah, it's dude. Where's my car? It was going to be dude. Where's my car? Either way, but I wanted right. to be sure which one I was dismissing. United ninety three epic movie. Fuck. <laughs> Just go. I would that. rather re-experience nine eleven than watch epic movie. The podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have fun next week. I'll be back in a couple. See you, everybody. Bye.